Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Thanks, Barry and team. Especially, I'm appreciating Barry this morning. He and I are Flames fans, and it's hard to be here today. With all the abuse that we're taking, it's not just not a good day. It is a great day, though, uh, when you think about the weather, right? Like, like Bruce was saying earlier, like uh, Bud Miller Park was just amazing yesterday for anybody that was out there. I heard it was packed, and I was on my tractor, and um, that's just like Beulah Land for me. It's a beautiful thing. And so, anyways, uh, I hope you've had a chance to get out and enjoy some of that, and I trust that. Uh, we'll be able to enjoy a little bit more of it over at least the next few days and, and hopefully beyond that too. We're getting to that point now where we can start to anticipate some good weather starting uh, to be a little bit more frequent. So that's awesome. Uh, just before we begin this morning, would you just stop and bow with me and let's pray and then we're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 3. So bow, bow and pray with me. Father, this morning again we stop and we come before you and we say thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be able to explore your word and through your word then to know you better and to understand you more. Uh, Lord, that we can recognize your existence and beyond your, just your existence, that we can understand that you are interested in each one of us, that you care for each one of us, that you've set about connecting with us, communicating with us, revealing yourself to us so that we would be able to have relationship with you. And so this morning we say thank you for this time. And to these things, to these ends, then I pray now, and I ask this all according to Christ and in his name, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly, heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So once again, again this morning, what we see is that the author of Hebrews is continuing to build on what has gone on before in the chapter preceding this. There wasn't, of course, chapters at that time. There weren't uh, those divisions. This is a letter that he's written to this audience, primarily of Jewish Christians, And he's building on what he's been establishing from the very outset of the letter. And we're going to find, actually, that that continues right on through chapter 6. That he continues to build. Each former piece adds to the argument that he is presenting. This this, uh, presentation, this submission, if you will, to this audience then and also to us now. So it continues to build. And we see that again here in Hebrews 3. Therefore... On account of everything that I've written to you before in the preceding pages. Now, we're going to stop right here at the end of verse 1, and we're going to go back and look at verse 1 in a little bit more detail. First of all, 
Who is it that the author is calling to fix their thoughts on Christ? Well, it's those, of course, that by placing our faith and our trust in Him. Now, this morning, I want to stop and just consider that a little bit more. Because I think we tend to just, again, skate past it so easily. We see it, we read it. Okay, I don't really get it. Nice, heavenly calling, whatever. And we, we try to move on to find something more substantial to park on. But I want to park on this for just a moment. What does he mean by heavenly calling? Well, in choosing that wording, the author is actually communicating to us. He's pointing out our significant privilege as followers of Christ. He's pointing out that we are privileged to have been called by God. And not just called by God, but actually called to God as well. That God is trying to get our attention. That He is reaching out to us in order to call us to Himself. Can I remind you along with the author this morning that Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the one true God is calling you today. He's communicating with you today. He wants your attention today. You know, a lot of you will know that years ago I used to work at the legislature in Edmonton. And it was an interesting time for me. When I first started there, uh, all of a sudden some things happened that, that I was really not familiar with at all. For example, I, I started to get calls in my office from ministers. Guys that I'd seen on television before, you know, you'd seen them on the news as they were interviewed about whatever was going on in the province and so on and so forth. Well, they started to phone me. And that was, that was kind of trippy. You know, you'd pick up the phone and it might be Jim Dinning on the phone, who is the Minister of Education or, or what have you. And, and it's, wow, it's an interesting experience that these guys would be calling me. And so... This morning, as much as that was cool, this, that is nothing, nothing compared to the fact that God is calling each one of us today. He's calling you today. So don't hear me talking to you this morning. It is not Doug. I'm just Doug. But it's not me calling. It's not even the author of Hebrews calling, and he's more significant than I am by a long shot. But it's not just them either. As we talk this morning, as you hear me chatter at the front, listen for God calling you today. Because he's calling you to himself. The significance of God calling us cannot be overstated, literally. It cannot be overstated. God himself is calling us today, so don't miss him. 
And the author points this out to us. He doesn't want us to miss that, so let's not. But at the very same time, as he establishes our privilege, he also sets for us something else. He sets the significance of the fact that God is calling us today. The gravitas, if you will. You know, the other thing that was interesting for me as I started working at the legislatures, I found that as I started to phone people from different MLA's offices or on their behalf, well, I got answers quick. I could phone somebody and say, hey, I'm calling from so-and-so's office, the MLA for your area, and I need this information. Well, things happened really quickly. And as a matter of fact, interestingly enough, I worked for five MLAs. I had two of which were, they, they, they had influence. They carried a little bit more weight just by virtue of who they were and some of the positions that they held and so on and so forth. So when I was dealing with government, I would tend to work a lot from their offices, even though I might be working from one of my other MLAs or on behalf of one of my other MLAs. I could say, hey, I am calling from so-and-so's office. And that got people's attention. Because they recognized it wasn't just Doug calling. I was calling on behalf of someone else, someone far bigger with more established position and clout and authority and so on and so forth. This morning, we need to recognize that God is calling us today. And that when God calls, we had best pick up the phone. We need to respond. He's looking for an answer. So again, as we come to this heavenly calling, don't just hear me this morning. Don't just hear the author. Hear God. Secondly, as we look at verse 1, we need to understand what it means to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Now, the author here isn't just sort of presenting for us some, some sort of a sentimental, aesthetic, romantic notion. It's not saying, you know, daydream on, on the Lord. Nothing like that. I've never been accused of being a romantic. You can pray for Fran. But I'm in no danger here of making this too black and white. When the author is saying, fix your, your thoughts on Jesus, what he is saying is, fix your gaze on him in such a way as to understand. Focus in such a way as to understand what he is saying, what he's presenting to us, the lessons that he's teaching us today. So look at him intently in order to be able to figure out what he's all about, and where he's going. It's a very direct idea. Set your mind on understanding him this morning. Fix your thoughts. Set your mind. Pay attention. Determine to hear and listen and understand. Too often, I think, we give God merely a passing glance. Right? 
maybe go to our scripture, whatever, we read a couple of verses or whatever, and off we go. Back into our own world. Back into our own agendas, or what have you. Or, the other thing that we do is, we come along, and we will stop, and we will stay long enough, we'll focus long enough to find what we think is the answer that we need. Right? Don't, don't, you, don't you do that? Guys, come on, I'm preaching to the choir. Right? We do that every time that we try and assemble something. We get the instructions out, and we'll look at them as long as we find, run into a problem. Then we, we oh, okay, now I'll finally get them out. I'll look at it, and then I'm off and running again. I'm not going to read the next part because I can figure that part out until we run into another problem, right? It's sort of how we work. So that's how we approach God so often, is we stop to figure out the minimum, minimum of what we need. And then again, we're back into our own world. And the fact is, is it really, all that's doing is it's under, underlining our, our laziness and our impatience, our self-centeredness, our pride. I'll acknowledge God if I need him to whatever extent I need him. We come along and we, we learn, oh, oh, I've got a problem with sin, therefore I need God. I need a savior. I need somebody to save me from my sin. So I'll acknowledge him to that extent. And then I'm off and running, doing my own thing, thinking, thinking I've got it all figured out. Thinking I, I've got as much as I need to know. When in fact, God is actually coming to us with a whole bunch of things that we need to know. A whole bunch of things that if we don't know, could very, very definitely impact us in terms of how long we stick close to God. Things where he can speak into our lives in such a way so that when we encounter the difficulties of life or even the good things of life, that we don't drift away from him. But we're not interested long enough. We don't set our thoughts on him long enough to hear that part just, an, just long enough so that I can figure out as much as I think I need to know. And then I'll be fine. And it isn't long. And it isn't long before one way or the other, in the good or in the bad, in our comfort or in our pain, because it can happen both ways. We end up drifting away from God. God has a lot to say. And we need to determine to go back to him and focus in order to learn and understand in our lives. Lastly, in this first verse, note that the author directs us to fix our eyes on, or fix our thoughts on Jesus. And again, so oftentimes we get distracted. And we'll focus on something else. So this morning, hear the author. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Don't fix your thoughts on Doug, not the pastor. That's going to be disappointing. Don't even fix your thoughts on the church. That'll be disappointing too. 
fix your thoughts on Christ. Focus on Him. Try and understand Him. Don't worry about the rest. The end of verse 1 concludes with whom we acknowledge. Speaking again of Jesus. Whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. And I don't want to spend a bunch of time here this morning. Just let me note a couple things quickly. First of all, as the author refers to Jesus as our apostle, this is the only, where, only place where that reference is made of Christ. And sometimes we see that and we get distracted by that. We get kind of bent in a knot. Well, what do you mean he, apostle? He wasn't just an apostle. He was, he was God. And you're right. But what's meant here is that he was a messenger of God the Father. So he came as an apostle. He came as a messenger of God the Father himself. And the author reminds us of that again. Hey, we've acknowledged that. Let's not forget it. But what's more than he also acknowledges him as our high priest. And I've got good news for you this morning. We're not going to start and talk about that today. We're not going to delve into it. But in two weeks, Pastor Bruce is going to talk about that. So not only is there good weather on the horizon coming soon, you're going to get a relief from me soon. Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen. Pastor Bruce is going to be here. I'm looking forward to that as he delves into a section that's going to start to unpack for us this whole area of Christ as our high priest. So don't miss that. Set that on your calendars. Plan to be here for that. Let's carry on. Verses 2 to 6. He was faithful, again, Jesus, to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Now this morning, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time here. And I think honestly, when we come to verses like these, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but when we come to verses like these, isn't this where the Bible kind of gets a bad rap? Where all of a sudden we start to look at this and we kind of go like, what, what is this all about, right? And we, and we wonder what's going on and we start to think then that, well, the Bible's got to be just irrelevant because I can't begin to understand this or what have you. And I, and I can appreciate that this morning. And what's, what's going on here is that, is that the author is actually saying, he's speaking again to his Jewish audience, and he goes back and he uses a number of Old Testament references here in order to establish Christ's superiority even to Moses. Now, for, for you and I, that's not a big deal. We would come along and we would say, okay, well, God is obviously bigger than Moses, and that wouldn't be a, a, a challenge for us. But in their time, again, it was. In some circles, some Jewish circles... They believed that Moses was superior even to angels. And so the author here comes along and he goes back and he goes to the Old Testament references again, which was, was their scripture at the time. And he establishes even there through their, those references who Christ is and his support, superiority even to Moses. And so thereby, again, just solidifies their faith and erodes some of the, the challenges that they were facing and being maybe drawn back into Judaism. For us, though, this morning, 
we need to just understand a few things, or just a few things that we can see here about what's going on, and it helps us, again, to understand the significance of what God's been doing down through time. Because Moses was thought by so many of the Jewish people to be superior to the angels, then we can understand why that was a significant thing when we consider the fact that, well, the Jewish people believed Moses to be the foremost, the foremost apostle of God in their history. Moses was number one when it came to God's messengers to the children of Israel. Above and beyond that, Moses was the one to whom God spoke directly. That was different. Moses occupied different space on account of that. Moreover, Moses was the one to whom Yahweh chose to let see him pass by. So Moses was significant. And what we need to understand from this this morning is that again, Jesus is supreme. Whatever else, whoever else in your life, whoever else you think is significant, Jesus stands supreme. He's God himself sent to us as the ultimate revelation of who God the Father is. Now, with respect to these verses, just one last thing before we move on. Note the theme of faithfulness that runs through these few verses here from 2 to 6. Moses was faithful. Christ is faithful. And therefore then we are to be faithful in our dedication, in our holding fast to following Christ. Which therefore then sets up the next few verses from 7 to 11. As the author moves from our, the faithfulness that we see here of Christ and Moses and what he calls us to, to the unfaithfulness of their ancestors, the children of Israel in the past. So let's carry on. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So these verses are taken from Psalm 95, verses 7b to 11. And the author of Hebrews here again points his audience not to harden their hearts, not to re- make the same res- uh, repeat, uh, repeat the same mistake that they had made back then. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews comes along and says, hey kids, let's just take a trip back down memory lane and remember that time when our ancestors turned their hearts away from God. And they rebelled against Moses. And because of that, then, God spoke 
and said, now, on account of your rebellion, you don't get to enter the promised land. So that was what he was trying to draw their, their minds to. He says, remember that. Remember that instance. And so he's piggybacking on that warning, if you will, for his audience then and, and for you and I today. He's extending that same warning to you and I today, not just them. We can go back and remember that as well as we read our Old Testament, as we see what's happened there. And this morning, we need to understand this not just as a historical lesson, but as a warning. Because the author here uses it to set the precedent. He's saying, I'm pointing this out to you, not just so that you'll remember it, but so that you'll take note of it. Because what happened then, in their rebellion then, they were punished. And as you and I now rebel against God today, we too will be punished. Just as they were punished and not allowed to enter the promised land, as we rebel against Christ today, we will be punished in not being allowed to enter heaven. Now, there are some distinct parallels that run through these verses. And the Jewish readers would have really quickly picked up on them then. We should as well today, as we know a little bit about our Old Testament. But here, note again, just note this. God, the, the author of Hebrews, and through him then, God is pointing out his work through time to reveal himself to us. He's established who he is. He's given us all kinds of clues as to who Christ is. And he's speaking into our lives about how we're to respond. Note, Jesus parallels Moses as representatives of God. The exodus from Egypt from, and from captivity in Egypt parallels our exodus, our escape from sin. The promised land parallels heaven. The children of Israel's rejection of Moses parallels any of our rejection of Christ. I want us to just stop here and park here for a minute. Because the, the danger then would have been that while we recognize God, the people would have said. We recognize God, but we're not sure about this Jesus guy. And today, we run into the same problem. A lot of people will say, oh, I believe in God. But I'm not sure about this Jesus. He's just a good teacher. He's just a guy that lived a long time ago. He's a good guy, but he's of no bearing on me, has no impact on me. But note that as the children of Israel rejected Moses as God's chosen one to lead them out of captivity, they were punished because they rejected God. He was God's representative. 
And therefore, rejecting him meant you were turning your back on God. In the same way, church family and friends, as we turn our back today on Jesus Christ, as we refuse to acknowledge him as God, as we refuse to acknowledge what he has done for us, and the way that we have then the purification of our sin through him, as we reject that, we've rejected God ourselves. God says, don't bother. Don't bother saying you believe in me if you're not going to deal with him. If you're not going to place your faith in him, I have nothing to do with you. Now, while we recognize then that there are parallels here from the children of Israel then to Jesus now, we recognize as well that there's a significant escalation from the first to the second, from the former to the latter. A superiority to this second round versus the first, if you will. Jesus is superior to Moses. The escape from Egypt pales in comparison to our escape from sin. A rejection of Christ is far worse than any rejection of Moses. And a failure to enter the promised land is nothing compared to a failure to enter heaven. This morning, we need to understand as we read this, and it's not fun and it's not pretty, it's not sexy. It's not the things that everybody wants to hear. But we need to hear this morning that is as we reject Jesus Christ, what we've done is we've rejected heaven and we've chosen hell. We've made a decision. We've made a decision that I don't believe in Jesus and with that means that we forfeit heaven and choose instead God's punishment, which is hell. So the consequences of the decision that we are to make this morning are huge. The consequences of what God is calling us today are unparalleled. But he's calling us to make a choice this morning. This being the case, the author then continues to give us his assessment then in verses 12 to 14. There he says, See to it, brothers and sisters, then, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He says, go back. Do the math. Figure out who this Jesus is and then make sure that you do nothing to harden your heart such that it congeals into unbelief. And that then you turn away from God. Secondly, he says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Now, 
This is really pretty self-explanatory. This, this part is not hard to understand as opposed to Moses and the house business a little bit earlier. This section is really comprised of three things. Two imperatives and a pronouncement. The author tells us, gives us the imperative that we are individually, individually to see to it that our hearts do not harden and that we become unbelievers, that we turn away from God. That's on us individually. Secondly, the imperative is that we would encourage one another corporately now, not individually but corporately, that we would come together and that we would work together to encourage one another, to remind each other, to help each other so as not to allow ourselves to drift into unbelief, drift away from God. And lastly, the author says that the reality of our belief Listen carefully. The reality of our belief is demonstrated in our perseverance. Which is to say, in other words, show me what you do and I'll show you what you believe. If you don't do the things that God calls us to, if you don't live in the manner that he prescribes for us. If we don't trust him the way that he asks us to, that is demonstrated in our actions and how we live. If we per persevere in those things, then we're true believers. If we don't, then we're not. And not quite content to just leave it right there. The author carries on and takes one more swing at this in verses 15 through to 19. He says this, As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Here this morning, the author traces out for us and clarifies the offense so that there is no doubt, so that we don't miss it, so that we can't claim ignorance. And it ultimately comes down to unbelief. Unbelief. So many of us are running around today wondering if we're going to be good enough, if we've done enough, The question is this morning is, what do you believe? And here's the thing. Again, just as we talked about during the Sermon on the Mount, not just intellectual assent, 
Not just where I say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is God and that he died for my sins and all that stuff, but then turn and live my own life apart from him. Belief such that we seek to understand him, to learn the lessons he's given us, and then live them out each day of our lives. This morning, listen to the author of Hebrews again. God has been revealing himself to us from the very outset of time. Jesus is none other than God himself. And in him, him we find the absolute, ultimate, final self-revelation of God the Father. Christ's arrival marked the culmination of the ages. Which is to say that throughout all of history, God had been pointing man to that point. And not just that point, but to Christ himself. Jesus himself. And that throughout history to that point, he provided the evidence of who that man would be. So that we would be able to identify him and therefore then place our faith in him, understanding that he was God's apostle. The messenger sent from God himself for you and I. The ultimate example of God calling you and I today to himself. What's more, Christ became man then in order to what? Accomplish the purification of our sin. Our sin that had separated us from God. And he did that through his death and resurrection. That's why he had to become a man. Because God cannot die. But man has to die because of sin. Therefore, God had to become man to overcome death. And therefore, overcome sin on our behalf. This morning then, to reject Jesus is to forfeit heaven. And choose instead God's punishment. And as we've seen from the beginning, the author is writing this morning, but now not just the author, we understand also that God is now demanding of us a decision. What do you believe today? What do you believe today? And the operative word again this morning is today. For as long as it is today, the author says, which is to say, do not postpone this decision because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Church family, friends, can I be very real with you for a few moments? Since the beginning of the year, in my church world and in my personal world, we've had five deaths, significant deaths for us. And in all but one of them, there hasn't been a whole lot of time to prepare. And even in the one, it was only a few months. 
None of these people were even what we would consider old. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm doing funerals. I've got friends that I expected would still be here today, and they're not. I might be doing one of your funerals next week. You might be coming to my funeral next week. Don't, don't miss God today. The author is calling us. God himself is calling us. Don't miss him today. What's your decision? What do you believe? Don't wait. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for the writer of Hebrews. Thank you for the way that he so carefully and painstakingly is laying out for us this case for Christ. Lord, I pray that by your spirit now that you would do what, not, uh, that what I can't do, what only you can do, but that you would work in the hearts of your people. Lord, that you would remove the scales from our eyes, that you would help us to see you more clearly today. And Lord, I mean that. For those that don't know you yet, that you would help them to understand who you are and that you would help them to find faith in you today through Christ. And for those of us that do, Lord, that we would go beyond just knowing the minimum and then back into our own lives, trusting ourselves to be able to navigate it, but rather that instead that we would focus our thoughts, focus ourselves on Jesus so that we would be able to understand and learn the lessons that he's given us, that we would then persevere in our faith through to the end, that we would then be able to anticipate eternity together with you. Lord, I commit this time again to you, and I ask for your blessing upon it and these people, and I pray all of these things in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. Thanks again for being here this morning, both here in the church proper and those of you online, in your churches at home, or wherever you may be. Appreciate that. Be sure to register again for next week as the invitation comes out in the email tomorrow. Or if you need to, by all means, phone into the church office and we'll get you registered that way. 